Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our associate and student pastor, Matt Willingham. I want to welcome all of you watching online and our Hebron location, Wanatal, MPH, Westville. No, Pastor Phil. Pastor John had mentioned Pastor Phil is down there this morning at our North Justin camp. Ten years, y'all. Ten-year-old. That's our first baby, and is a ten-year-old now. Isn't that incredible? Ten years old, man. And uh, I'll never forget when we uh, first started uh, that campus, like, like Pastor John has said, going to the back of the uh, American Legion building. You could hear the music from the bar as we're setting up service. And uh, sometimes people would stumble in service drunk, right? And they would sit down and hear the gospel. And so uh, it's just cool, man, to see what God is doing down there. The, if you've never been to that campus, it's a beautiful place. And uh, you can literally drive, I don't know if you know much about Stark County, but Stark County has a really bad problem uh, with drugs, um, poverty uh, is huge in that area. But when you drive into that city now, man, you can feel a difference in that city. And uh, I think it's a lot of what God is doing in that community through, uh, through North Judson, uh, our Heartland Campus, through the people there. What God is doing is amazing. Pastor John would not mention it, but I want to make mention that y'all just keep his family in his prayer, the Kilovoss family lost. He lost his dad uh, Friday afternoon, so I want you just to pray for him, pray for his family uh, as they go through that. He'll be doing his dad's funeral this week, and uh, we've, had some, we've had some loss. I know many of you others have had lost some loved ones. I think we was counting, unfortunately, I think this is about to be our eighth wedding, or I'm sorry, no, our eighth funeral in the last two weeks, and so some of our church family have been burying some people, so be praying. I know that God, but I know that awesome, that also during those times, right, uh, sometimes you don't understand life. Sometimes things happen that we don't comprehend. But this is what I do know, that, that when the storms happen, he always shows up and he can bring peace. Amen. And it's incredible to kind of watch God do that in some different areas. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, if you've got your Bible and you've got your worship guide that has some notes in it as well. Where we're going to go today, you can kind of mark Luke chapter 22 and then go ahead and get 1 Samuel chapter 16 ready because we'll flip over there as well. So good to see all of you again here, all of our locations. It's Fair Week, y'all. Porter County Fair going on, bro. Porter County Fair. If you've never felt tension ever in your life, listen, tomorrow night at 5 p.m., you go to the pig show and Miss Sherry, come on, tell them, Miss Sherry Omen. You can walk in that barn. Some of y'all know you've been to it, and you can feel the tension in that place in an outdoor facility, but it's always a blast, man. And uh, Luke chapter 22, we're going to talk to you this morning. We've been in a series. We've been looking at questions that God asks, and we've been looking at how he challenges us and questions that are asked in the Bible, what that looks like in our own life. And today I've titled my message, My Satisfaction Looks Different. My Satisfaction looks different. If I, was, I told the first service, if I was preaching to a bunch of teenagers with this message, it would look more different, and I would say my satisfaction hits different. That's what, they would, that's what the young people say. It hit, right? Right? It hits different, right, is what we say, Jacob. But my satisfaction looks different today. In Luke chapter 22, if I could give you the context, Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and he's just told them, one of you is going to betray me in this room. One of you 12 is going to betray me. He's going to get sideways on us, and you would think by conversation and you would think by consideration of people in that room that their first discussion should be like, well, man, who is it going to be? We need to 
take care of them right now, and we need to figure some stuff out. But in Luke chapter 22, that is not at all what they're arguing about. And in verse 24, this is what the Bible says. It says, a dispute rose among them as to which of them considered was considered to be the greatest. Who's the goat, Jesus, of our disciples? Greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, not LeBron James, Tyler Hatchie. Don't you ever say LeBron James. The goat of all. Who is the goat? Jesus of our disciples, the greatest of all time. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But watch what he says. But you are not to be like that. Turn to the person you're sitting next to, look them at you, and square in the eyeballs and tell them, say, don't be like that. Don't be, don't be like that. He says, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest, now watch what he says, among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. Now here's the question in verse 27. For who is greater? The one who is at the table. This is the reference he's giving. He's not necessarily talking about people who are sitting now in a circle, but he's giving the reference of in the Bible times and, and in the biblical days when you would enter into a house, there was the master, there was the people in charge, and, and those people at the table were usually the most important people. And then there were servants that was usually running around, doing things, washing feet, taking care of dinner, making sure everything is taken care of. But a lot of times the attention would be put upon who's sitting at the table. But he says, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Oh, snap. Is it not the one who is at the table? But watch what he says. But I among you as one who serves. Who, who is greater? In the kingdom of God, those who get all of the attention, those who sit at the table and feel important, or those who learn how to serve. God, I come before you this morning, and God, I thank you for your presence that is here. And God, I thank you, Lord, that for your son Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, and so God, not because we have it all together, but because of his sacrifice, we can come into your presence this morning. So, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to what it is you have to say to us today. God, challenge and change every one of us in this place. Let us leave different than how we were when we walked in. God, than how we were when we clicked online to join. God, I praise you for what you're going to do in our lives today. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, everybody, say amen. Who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? My, my satisfaction looks different. I think, I think all of us in this room, it's safe to say, all of us in this room, you're watching online, you're at our other locations, all of us in this room want to have a life of significance. Would you agree with that? Come on, by a show of hand, raise your hand nice and high. If you want your life to be a significant life, raise your hand. Come on, nice and high. Hopefully all of you, if they're not raising their hand, look at them and be like, you need to wake up. Like, we need to have a life of significance, right? We all want to have a life of significance. Dare I say, we all want to live a life of satisfaction. Unlike the song that they sung, I can't get no, we all want some type of satisfaction. I've never met anyone that said, you know what, Pastor Matt, I just want to be average. I just want to have an average marriage. I just want to be an average person. I want to make an average salary, just enough to get by. Don't need no extra money in the bank. I just want to have average kids. There's no need in them to excel in anything amazing in their life. They just need to be average. I, I want to have an average relationship. I want average friendships that if I call them, maybe they'll answer. Maybe they won't. I don't know. It's average. Who knows if they'll show up for me? Like, no one ever says they, 
They want to have an average life. All of us desire to have a life of significance, to have a life of satisfaction. And out of our hunger of satisfaction, oftentimes, we, we will be determined to do something great. Out of this desire to be significant. Out of this desire that, man, I want my life to matter. I want, I want my life to be satisfied. I want my life to be full. It, it will drive us to have this determination to do something great. And determination is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with being a determined person. It is what can motivate us to bring about change in our life when we're determined to be different. Determination can drive us to do great things. I'll give you an example. Let me just make it really, really simple for us. Oftentimes, we may, maybe we wake up and we say, you know what, I am determined to have better health. So, so what will we do out of that determination? Maybe we decide, you know what, I don't go to the doctor very often. I should probably get better, right? This is most men. I should be better about checkups, and I should be better about checking on myself. And so, you know, I'm determined to have better health, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start going to the doctor a little bit better. And, you know, I'm determined to have better health, so, you know, I'm going to change my diet because the way I eat is, is not very well, and I need to change what I'm kind of feeding myself. You know what? I'm determined to have better health, so, you know what? I'm, I'm going to not just change my way I eat as well. I'm going to start working out a little bit, getting a little exercise in and and see, I do the opposite. I work out just so I can eat the way I, I eat. I, I don't put the two together. And, and so, so out of this determination, right, we're determined to have better health, so our determination will drive us to do something different, right? You see that. Maybe, maybe some of us, we say, you know, I'm determined to get out of debt. I'm determined to, you know, have my financial situation look a little bit different. I'm determined that, uh, you know, when I get older, that there's something there for retirement, and I'm not just depending on the government, I'm determined. And so what, out of our determination, will change our spending habits, right? Husband, say amen. Your wives are right next to you. We'll change our spending habits, or I'm the spender in my family, actually. And so maybe we say, you know, I'm going to start saving more. I'm going to cut back here. You know, I'm not going to shop as much. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to cut some things out of my life that's not necessarily a need. It's just an extra. And so we'll change our spending habits. Maybe I'm determined to ha have a closer walk with God. And so, you know, what? I, because of my determination, it's going to drive me to do more than just show up on a Sunday morning. I, you know, I'm going to start setting time aside to open my Bible, to pray. You know, I'm going to get in a small group because I need other believers around me. It's, it's always amazing when I, I turn around and I just watch people in worship. I just leaned over to PJ and I pointed out a few people and I won't say them by name, but, but they, they're, they're newer, and, and some of you are newer to Heartland, and it's just, it's amazing as a pastor just to watch, you know, the, the growth of people's lives spiritually, and, and oftentimes you can just look at somebody in a seat, and you can see the spiritual growth, because, you know, a couple people that I'd pointed, used, I know when you used to come here, you were standing there, and you're like, oh man, this church is crazy, like the music, and people, and, and now I see them with their hands raised, and it's just, it's a beautiful thing, and, and determination can, can cause us, and can, and can drive us to do great things, but if we're not careful, determination can also be dangerous. Uh, let, let me talk about myself this morning, because you don't like it when I talk about you, let me talk about me. Um, I will often have moments in my life like where I get stressed out. I know you never get stressed out, right? Y'all's lives are like always peaceful, but my life gets stressful sometimes. And, and in moments of stress, maybe it's because of calendar, maybe it's just life, maybe it's just, you know, finances, things, things are going on. 
this is kind of just how I'm wired, and I think most men probably would agree with this, that out of my determination, uh, I would just say in those moments of stress, of strain, I'm just going to plow through it and get through it, right? Anybody ever done that before? I just got to make it through the week. I got to make it through the day. I got to make it through this test. I got to make it through this trial. And, and it's kind of the old, the old adage of, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I just got to do it, right? And, and so watch. So out of my determination, which comes from a good place, I think, of just to get through it, in those moments of feeling overwhelmed in my life, my go-to move is just plow through those moments, get through that trial, get through that stressful moment, get through that week because the calendar is full. And I'm determined, now hear me, watch, I'm determined to get through them, so I'm going to plow through it. But my determination to just get through it and to just, like, make it through, watch, I often, again, pray for me. I know the same for you. I'm talking by myself. It's therapy session, so just listen for a second. In my determination to, to plow through these moments, Bethany, I will often get, I get short with people. I know, pray for me. I, I do this. I, I get short in my answers. I, I get short in my responses. Like, like, like you ask the staff. They can even walk in my office, and they can see my face, and they're like, now's not a good time to ask this question. Let me just go ahead and leave. And they're like, no, no, it's a great time. And they're trying to help me help them. They're like, no, I can tell it's not a good time. It's a great time. Ask the question. And it's a question that maybe needs like a 10-minute discussion. And I give a one-word answer. Yeah, just go do it. Do your thing. And they're like, but I, did, I don't know what the thing is. Like, that's why I come to ask you. And, and I get short with people. Like, for example, my wife will sit down and have a conversation. And, and I'm sitting on the island, and, and she'll be in the kitchen, and we're having these conversations. And she'll look at me, and she'll say, Matt, listen, I appreciate the loving man that you are and the way you lead our home with such strength and such resilience. I can see the anointing flowing from your This is what I hear in my head anyways. This is what she's saying to me. I see the anointing flowing from your forehead right as we speak. But, but you are being short with me, and I don't like it. And so watch, watch. Out of my determination, I think I'm plowing through a moment, but I'm really plowing over people. Oh, we're going to be real today. Out of my determination, I think I just, I got to get through it. I, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta plow through this moment. I got I to gotta make the decisions. I got to go. And in my head, in my conversations with people, in my, conversa in my relationships, I'm just plowing over people. I'm plowing over conversations. See, what we have to understand, hear me this morning, there's a big difference in living a life of significance and living a life out of selfish intention. This is what I'm praying the Holy Spirit shows us this morning. That living a life of significance, oh, it's a good thing. Oh, we want to be satisfied. But if we're not careful in our, determin our determination to be satisfied and to be significant, really, if we're honest with ourselves, and, and oftentimes when the Holy Spirit begins to zoom in on us, the reason I get short and I just plow through is because you know what it is? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to admit it today, on, on, on this day, on this Sunday in July, I'm a control freak, y'all. Pray for me. I'm a control freak. And so oftentimes, my selfishness is just to grab and to hold on to versus trust other people around me. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all are so quiet today like y'all never have these issues in your life. See, see what, what Jesus is going to show us this morning, the kingdom of God, this is what God wants to remind us, the kingdom of God, hear me, it's not just about getting through it. The kingdom of God is not just about plowing through moments. The kingdom of God is not just about, man, how do I get to the end as quick as I can? 
It's not a sprint to the finish line. It's a marathon. It's a journey. And it's one, hear me this morning, that we're called not to do alone. And so what you and I must do in order to really have, you want to have a life of satisfaction. You want to have a life of real significance. You want to know what it's like to really embrace the kingdom of God for everything it is. It's to embrace this word that we all hate, this word called serving. Now, I know we say it like, no, I don't mind to serve. No, we do. Because this is what, I'm going to show you this morning how we serve. And it's the Holy Spirit's going to challenge us. It's oftentimes, see, Jesus shows us in the kingdom, it's not how great can you be. That's not what the kingdom is about. More importantly, it's how great can you serve. Um, I'll say it like this. Maybe you can write it down and this will help you. In order to be great, Jesus is going to show us we must learn to serve. If we want greatness, if we want satisfaction, if we want this life of significance, it's not about how do I go and take and dream and, and go and do and listen, nothing wrong with dreams, nothing wrong with aspirations for our life, for our families. But, but, but watch, in Luke chapter 22, the disciples are sitting here and they're talking about who is the greatest and they're making it about who does the most. Who's the GOAT, Jesus? Who is the greatest. And Jesus says, your, te- your thinking is totally wrong. It's not about who is the greatest. And for you and I as Christ followers, that's, that's the way, that's not the way that you and I should think. Rather than being the greatest, his followers, this is what Jesus is telling them in Luke chapter 22, his followers should not desire, as Christians, we should not desire who can be the greatest, but as Christians, we should desire who can be the best servant. Who can I serve the most, God? Who is it in my life that you have if you want this satisfaction in the kingdom of God? Jesus said in Matthew 23 and 12, he says, for those who humble themselves or exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's totally different than what we see in our culture. That's totally different than how we live our life oftentimes. If you want to be great, you got to humble yourself. He says the first will be last. The last will be first. This is totally counterculture in our life. That if I want to have a life of satisfaction, i got to learn how to serve. Oh, Jesus, I don't like this message. And I begin to think, who, who, who is it in the Bible that we could look to as an example? And I thought of Moses. What better great example of Moses as a servant. I mean, the man who got called to lead the nation of Israel out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery, delivered this whole nation of Israel. And yes, he never got to see the promised land himself, but his leadership and his ability to lead the people and serve them, even though they got on his nerve, even though like, he didn't like it sometimes, even though really he didn't even want to do it. You go read his story. He tried to tell God, I don't want to do it. Go find somebody else. He was a, a great servant. I'm like, man, Moses would be good. But, and, and then I thought, about, um, I thought about Joseph, right? And some of you know the story of Joseph who has this dream, and he, and he tells his dream to his brothers, and his brothers are like, nah, bump that dream. I ain't, I ain't happening because his dream was really that his brothers was going to serve him, and they sold him into slavery. And yet when you read the life of Joseph, everywhere he went, he didn't complain. He just continued to serve. And I'm like, man, that would be a great example. And I'm like, how about Jesus? I mean, the greatest servant of all. I mean, he said in Matthew 20 and 28 that he didn't come to, to be served, but he come to serve. So, yo, we should just look at Jesus. He's the greatest example of all servants. And I'm like, we've talked about love for the last two weeks. They're already mad at me already about talking about love. I can't really preach about Jesus and serving because then they're going to be more mad at me. And I was like, who could I really, really talk about and who could we look at? Because again, hear me this morning, as Christ's followers, if you call yourself a Christian, we are called to emulate the character of Christ. That's what a Christian is. 
So how do I emulate his character in loving others? In loving my neighbor, we talked about it last week. In loving our enemies, we talked about it two weeks ago. Y'all love those two messages, right? And, and how do we emulate? Y'all can laugh, it's church, you can still laugh, I promise, we can have fun. How do we emulate Christ's heart and his, and his attitude in this servanthood mentality? And I thought of David. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's the one, David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, some of y'all know the story of David. David pops up on the screen in Scripture the first time. The nation of Israel has a king. His name is Saul. Saul's reign is over. God tells this prophet Samuel, he goes, yo, Saul's uh, reign is about to end. We got to go find us another king. And he says, I'm going to send you over to Jesse's house. He's got some sons. And that's where the king is. And so Samuel shows up in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10. Go there now. And the Bible says that Samuel shows up. Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel. Samuel's there now to pick out the new king. He says, God sent me here. The king is here. When he shows up, I'm going to know. I'm going to anoint him. I'm going to make him king. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Imagine Samuel sees the first one pass by. God's like, nope. Second one, nope. Third one, nope. Seventh one, nope. He's like, uh-oh, uh, that's all I got. And so he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons that you have? And there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and he had, brought, and he had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. I can imagine that's probably what my wife felt the first time she saw me. Rise and anoint. <laughs> I'm joking. That's how, I saw, that's how it was when I saw her. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord. Now watch. When did the spirit come upon David? We just read it. When? Come on, tell me, church. From that day. He gets anointed, 1 Samuel chapter 16, don't forget this. He gets anointed, 1 Samuel chapter 16, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This attitude of servanthood, if I want to have a life, if I want my satisfaction to look different, Jesus says it's not about who sits at the table, but it's about how well do you serve. How, how, how well do you serve others? How well do you serve Christ? Can I talk to you about the heart of a servant that, that we see in David that I want to talk to you about first? First, the heart of the servant always has humility. Oh, I hate this word. Humility. The, the ability to be humble is what humility is. The ability to submit yourself to someone greater, that's what humility is. And this is what I've often done in my own life. Watch this. I will put limitations on myself, now hear me this morning. I'm gonna talk really plain to us. I will put limitations upon myself, not because I can't do it, but because I won't do it. And I'll begin to limit God's work in my life. Not because I can't, but because I won't. Well, I'm called to be a teacher, Pastor Matt, and uh, there's no way I can go teach a kid's class. I am called to be a teacher. I should be in the stage in front of everyone, and. Uh, you want me to go teach kids? Like, that is beneath me, Pastor Matt. 
I mean, God, I mean, I know I'm in this place of work and this place of business, but I mean, I clock in and I clock out. And when I show up to my desk, sometimes they have the audacity to ask me to do something extra. And I cannot do, I am not here. They do not, oh, they do not even pay me enough to deal with the stuff they're asking me to pay with. Oh, come on, y'all are so quiet this morning. Like y'all have never said this stuff. I mean, I will, I will love I would love people, Pastor Matt, because that's what God's called me to do, love my neighbors, but love my enemies? No way. I'm not going to be able to love my enemies, or I can love my enemies, but love my neighbors? No way. Or, man, I can love all of those people, but love someone who, 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 who kind of stretches me a little bit and gets some my nerve. I mean, actually love my family? I can't do that. Do you see what we do? We will often put limitations. I'm not anointed to do that, Pastor Matt. That's not my anointing. That's not my calling. And yes, do I believe God gives gifts and talents and abilities and anointing in people's life to do certain things? Absolutely, 1,000%. But this is what I also know is when it comes to serving, hear me this morning, there's no such thing in the kingdom of God when it comes to serving as statements like this. Well, that is beneath me. I don't mess with that stuff. That there's no such thing in serving in the kingdom of God in your workplace, in your family. Well, that's beneath me. I don't. I don't do it. I, I will do dishes in my house at the drop of a hat. It does not bother me. I will do laundry in my house at the drop of a hat. It does not bother me. Why? Because I'm serving my wife. I'm serving my family. Right? I, I, I will do things that, that, that I don't necessarily enjoy to do. Because why? Because I'm serving my wife. I'm serving my family. There's no such thing as, as well, that's not my job in the kingdom of God. I remember a few weeks ago we was at uh, a youth camp, right? Some of y'all know we took 62 kids to camp. Pastor John and Pastor James and I were sitting there and we're hanging out. A lot of times at these camps, you get to hang out with youth pastors. And, 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 the, and, the, and they often, people often ask us because they hear about what we do at the schools and how we have influence in our community. And they, this one gentleman come up and says, man, how do, I want what you have in the school systems. And I said, no, you don't. They go, no, no, I do. I want to be able to do what you do in the school system. And I said, no, you don't because I know this dude really well. I go, because you won't do what I did in order to get influence in the school system. I'll never forget the first time PJ and I went and sat in the principal's office. I won't say the name of the school, but we sat in the principal's office as God began to stir in our hearts. And this is, I mean, we've been on school campuses. We've been here for 17, 18 years, and 15, 16 of those years, we've been doing something on school campuses. And we go, and we sit at this principal's office, and we said, listen, we're not here with, with, a, with, a, with a, an agenda. I'm not, I'm not here to grow my youth ministry. I'm not here to invite your kids to our church, to our youth group. I ain't doing none of that. But listen, what, what is it that we could do? We know your school. We know we have, you have needs. How, how could we come? How could we assist you? How could we love on your campus? How could we love on your students? How could we love on your teachers? Is there anything we could do just to come and serve you and your camp? He goes, oh, this is easy. I'm like, oh, yeah, great. This is going to be awesome. He goes, uh, we have a very fast lunch period. He goes, it's very quick turnover. And so a lot of times our lunch ladies are under a lot of stress because they can't get the food prepped and get the food served and get the trays ready and all this stuff and get the tables wiped down and the, and, and the floor's a mess because if you've ever seen teenagers eat, I don't know if they get any food in their mouth sometimes. And so he said the floor is a mess. He goes, so listen, I'll tell you what. He goes, we could really use you just to show up and wipe down tables and sweep the floor. I said, yes, sir, we'll be there when you want us there. We'll start tomorrow. <laughs> wipe the tables and sweep the floor. I'm a man of God. His anointing is all over me. I'm to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to set the captives free, to break strongholds off of a generation. Praise God. You want me to wipe the tables and sweep the floor? Don't, but we do that with God sometimes. 
and, and, we, and we find out in our life that really the heart of a servant is really about humility. The, really the heart of a servant is about saying, God, anything you can do, anything I can do for you. Because listen, when we went there and we started wiping down tables, was I doing it for the principal? Because he asked, absolutely, I what? But you know who else I knew was getting glory? God was. Because we were like, man, look at them youth pastors from that church down the road, wiping tables, sweeping the floor. And then they would start bringing us like cookies and stuff. Bro, you get on the lunch lady's good side, you run that school. We was getting like, PJ, straight up. <laughs> bringing us trays of food, like, here you go, sir. Like, I was like, I felt like a king on that campus sometimes because they were just bringing me, like, all kind of snacks. What am I trying to say is oftentimes, if we're not careful, we think we get to a point in our life where our anointing or God's calling on our life is too big for us to do something else. Because watch, I'll show you. I'll prove it in David's life. You don't believe me because y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Let me show you in the text. David gets anointed in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And when was God's hand on him then? When was he on him? When he got anointed, that day, from that day on, right? And, and, and watch, watch, watch this, watch this, watch this. I gotta show you, I lost my place in my notes. Let me find it. Here we go. Watch, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18, let me tell you what's happening. Saul, King Saul, right? He's the king still. He's got these spirits that are starting to bother him, and, and the only way to get rid of this torment is when people begin to play music, and so they're like, yo, we need somebody to play music. What do we do? In verse 18, one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He plays the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. Now, how did he get brave and warrior just out of a harp player? That's a whole other message I could preach. Some of us want to wait till we get the sling in our hand to be good at what we did. David was so good at playing the harp, he got summons by the king. Something that looks so insignificant. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine and looking man. And the Lord is with him. Watch verse 19. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the what? Come on, read it with me. Who is with the what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up, David. David gets anointed in first. We just read it. He's anointed as king. When they go looking for him, Jory, he's still in the field with the sheep. What is he doing in the field with the sheep after he's been anointed as king? I ain't going to lie, y'all. If I was David, I'd be like, nah, bump that, dad. I ain't going back to the field. My brother can go back. Matter of fact, I'm going to the living room. I'm going to need to get some AC. I'm propping my feet up. If you could bring me some food, please. You saw. I saw. Everybody saw. I'm the next king of Israel. I ain't trying to get a broken bone out in that field. There's too many crazy animals out in that field. I, I would come up with a list of excuses just like sometimes I do with God. I can't do that. Here is David who's been anointed as king, and yet when they're looking for him, he's back in the field. Why? Because he was humble. He knew what humility looked like. And not only was he humble, not only if we want to have the heart of a servant, not only should we have humility, watch this, we should have availability. We should be available. We should be available for whatever God wants to do in us and through us. David had this willingness to be available for God's to, God's to work in his life and through his life. And listen, watch. He, he showed up to the giant. You remember? Y'all know the story. You went. He, he, he's just there taking his, his brothers some cheese sandwiches. He's just there taking them some sandwiches and some cheese and some bread. And he shows up, and this Goliath, this big giant, is like cursing God and cursing the nation of Israel. And he's like, yo, isn't nobody going to do anything about this? And I like, no, nah, we're all scared. David's like, I got this. I'll do something. I'm available. My calendar's free. I can make it happen. Well, watch. What happens in our life is sometimes because we're not available, because we're not made ourselves, because we become too busy, our calendar is too slammed. Right, we've become too, 
too self-conscious, we become too prejudiced maybe towards other people. We become too unforgiving towards wrongs that have been done in our life. But this is what we do. We want to, oftentimes, we want to be available, but only on our own terms. Oh, God, I'll be available, but only if you do what I say I can do. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Except for kids' ministry. Please not kids' ministry, God. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. I don't want to go across the street and talk to my neighbor because I'm busy. I got to get to this soccer practice. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. I just got to get to the office and shut the door and make sure nobody talks to me. Touch my heart, Lord. Come on. That's what we do. And we, we find ourselves being so busy. Oh, we're anointed. We want everyone to acknowledge it. I'm anointed. God's hand is upon my life. But we don't understand the, the process and we don't understand the power that when we just make ourselves available, when we just make ourselves willing for God to use it, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter who it is to. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't even matter who sees it. What I love about the story of David, David had a staff in his hand because he watched his sheep. Watch. This is what David did. Watch how he made himself available. God said, I need you. God said Right now in your life, you're going to watch sheep. So he puts a staff in his hand. Then God says, uh, I'm going to put you around the king. So he takes the harp that he's already good at, that he's already put, spent time in and, and, and practicing. When nobody else was looking, when nobody else could hear him playing, he was the best harp player there was. He had to be pretty good to be summoned by the king, right? And sometimes we want to get good at our craft when everybody can see it. But we don't want to put, a, we don't want, to put the time behind the scenes in order to God develop it before anybody sees it. That's a whole message right there. That's a whole leadership principle. So he's got a harp in his, so watch, he's got a staff in his hand. He's got a harp in his hand. He's playing for the king. He's got a sling. He puts a sling in his hand. This is the next thing that touches his hand, a sling as he kills Goliath and he slays him. After that, he gets gets a job promotion and now he becomes the armor bearer. Now he has armor. Literally, he carries the king's armor around. He's the king's right-hand man. So watch, a staff, a harp, a sling, and armor was in his hand before the crown ever hit his head because he was just available wherever God needed him. God, you need me to serve in kids' ministry? Boom, I'm there. God, you need me to go talk to this neighborhood? Uh, God, I'm there. Good. God, you need, me, you need me to serve a little bit on the worship team? All right, I'm there. God, you need me to be on the welcome team? Okay, cool, I'm here. God, you need me to serve uh, uh, in my job capacity? You know, I know they don't pay me to do it, but there's this need that they had. I can serve there. God, you need me to, to, to love on this family member during this time? God, I'm there. He was available. And watch, my availability, though watch this, must not be based upon popularity but upon my purpose. The staff, the harp, the sling kind of made him popular, but even after that, he didn't accept it. He went and he carried the armor around because he knew his purpose, not because he was trying to be popular, not because he was trying to get more followers, not because he was trying to get more likes on social media. I I can imagine David every time he just knew God's hand was on him, but it wasn't his time yet. See, when I know God's hand is on me, it doesn't matter who I'm serving. When I know God's purpose is inside of me, it doesn't matter what it looks like and who I'm serving or where I'm going or who sees me do it. It doesn't matter if it's in my job. It doesn't matter if it's in my church. It doesn't matter if it's in my family, but when I know God has a purpose and his hand is in His hand is on me, and his purpose is inside of me. I will be willing to serve wherever, whenever he needs me to. And watch, watch. It's not so, it's not what can I do so I can be seen. That's not not why I make myself available. 
It's not, okay, I'm going to serve, and then people are going to see me do it. Like you ever see the famous people? They take a selfie of them, like, helping somebody who's homeless, right? Hashtag giving to the needy. And I'm like, why you got to post it out so everybody can see it? They've got the camera crews right around them. It's not, watch this, it's not what can I do to be seen. Because Matthew 6 and 2, write it down, go read it this week. Jesus, Jesus gives us specific instruction. He says, when you give to the needy, he says, or when you serve, this is what he's saying. Don't, don't announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites in the synagogues do. They've already got the reward. He goes, when, when you're serving, it's not about who sees it, but, but what can I do to serve? It's not about what can I do to be seen. What, what can I do to, to serve? And when I make myself available, oh, it was five years ago that Josh Holman, the Holmans, they come to our first service, the great friends of ours. And uh, Josh Holman gives me a call. He goes, hey, Matt, um, there's a soccer league in Porter County that is about to go down as in they don't have a place to go because things are shifting and changing. He goes, and they have no place to be. He goes, what if, because uh, he knew the Sunshine Center where we was going, he goes, what if we picked that up and it became the Sunshine Center Soccer League? And I was like, Josh, I know a lot about sports, but Mr. Mehut, I know nothing about soccer, like nothing about soccer. I know there's a ball and there's a goal, and you need to kick it in that goal. That's all I got, right? That's all I know about soccer. I go, Josh, I don't know anything about soccer. He goes, I can help you. I'll, 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 I'll be a part. He goes, but I go, what do they need? He goes, they just need grass. I was like, we got some grass available. How easy is that? He goes, yeah, 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 so, so I think we can do this. So why? So, so five years ago, we started doing this soccer thing. And then just this week, matter of fact, we'll start our soccer league, our Sunshine Center Soccer League. That we now have 20 teams will be in that soccer league. A little over 450 people will visit our property on, a, on a four Saturdays, on four separate Saturdays. 450 people will be here. Last year, we began to meet people from the north side of Valpo. They would come and they would be a part of our soccer league kids would play here, and they're like, we had no idea a church was even here, and I'm like, we're literally 10 minutes down the road, it ain't that far, but that's neither here nor there, but they had no idea, we're like, we had no idea this place existed. Some people have started coming because of the soccer league. Well, what am I trying to tell you? Am I trying to endorse soccer? No, I know nothing about soccer, but, but it was five years ago that we made ourselves, and then watch what God did. This is how cool God is. So, so when, when we started, we had, we had Morgan Township, Couts, Washington Township, people that we know, right? That, that was kind of the people that came. And then it's just funny. This is how God works. This is so cool. A couple years ago, we planted a campus in Hebron, and we're, we're, we're trying to expand our influence in Hebron, right, where our biker church full throttle is, and, and God's doing amazing things there. They're there Sunday morning. They're, they're, y'all are there today. Come on. Full throttle. Make some noise. Yay. Yeah, make some noise. And, and so, so we're like, man, how do we get more influence in Hebron? The Hebron school system calls us about what we do. Boom, God opens the door. And now the Hebron, they have a soccer club, their own soccer club that they couldn't get a lot of people to play in. They're like, we need more people to play. They're like, so hey, can we join your soccer league and be a part of you? And now God's given us even another door there in Hebron. What, what, what am I trying to say? That's just a very simple, it's soccer, y'all. Nothing spiritual about that at all. What am I trying to say? It's when, when I learn how to make myself available, watch this. God will always handle the increase of influence. I don't have to increase my influence. I don't have to go out and promote myself. I don't have to go out, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't have to go out and push my brand. I don't have to do none of that. But, but when I simply humble myself in humility and I make myself available, God, where is it that we can step in and serve? God, what is it that we can do? God will always handle the increase of the influence. 
And I wonder how oftentimes in my own life, hear me this morning, that sometimes it is the lack of availability in my own life that is holding back my increase of influence. It's because I've made myself too busy. Because I've got unforgiveness in my heart, I'm not available to people. Because I have prejudice in my heart towards other people, I'm not available. Because I've let people who've done me wrong, and yes, that I, 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 I gotta have barriers and I gotta have I got to be safe, but because of people that's done me wrong, right, I, I've allowed unforgiveness. And, and I wonder how often in my own life that God has something greater for me. God has some, but I, I'm just not available to do any of it. Oh, y'all are so quiet today. So, so how, how, do I, how do I live this out then? I got it. I know, I can see your faces. Pastor Matt, shut up. I'm done with servanthood. I got it. I got it. How do I live this out? How, how do I live out this life of serving? Then, all right, I get it. I got to be humble. I got to be available, but, but what does it look like in my everyday life? Here's the first thing. If you, if you want to live out this life of being a servant, first we have to live a life of sacrificial love. Live a life of sacrificial love. Now listen, over the last two weeks, if you missed the message, go back and, and listen. We talked about loving your enemies and loving your neighbor and what that looks like, and, and I'm not going to re-preach those two messages, but it's this thought, it's this idea, it's this process, it's this power that we need the Holy Spirit to do in us and through us. It's just one of the greatest expressions of servanthood is simply sacrificial love. What greater love has no man than this, talking about Jesus, that he laid down his life for his friend. And listen, God does not call me and, and, and ask me uh, to lay down my life for my people, for my friends, for those that I come in contact with. But what he will ask me to lay down my life or what he will ask me to lay down is sometimes my calendar. Are you willing to sacrifice your calendar? What he will ask me to sacrifice, are you willing to sacrifice your thought process? Are you willing to sacrifice those judgmental thoughts that you have? Are you willing to sacrifice those prejudices that even though they look different, talk different, live in different, do you hear what I'm saying this morning? It's this, this idea of sacrificial love, that, that it's this love that is greater, that literally causes us to sacrifice, meaning to let go of something that we have every right to hang on to. But it's this attitude of servanthood. It's this attitude of, of loving God. It's this attitude of serving those around me that causes me to sacrificially love them. A great example is King David. That's who we're looking at today. If you know anything about medieval times and, and, and biblical times, oftentimes, right, the very next person in line who should be king when a king dies is who? The family, the sons, right? And, and Saul had a son. His name was Jonathan. And oftentimes in the Bible days, in the medieval days, when a new king would rise up, they would either kill the king's family members or, put them, or at least put them in jail because they technically had the the right to the throne, and well, I can allow them to rise back up and take the throne, so I'm either going to kill them, or worst case, or worst case scenario, I'm killing them, best case, I'm going to throw them in jail, and they're there for the rest of their life, but when you read David's life, he was best friends with Jonathan. He was never intimidated by Jonathan. He was never leery of Jonathan, and I think even one of the greatest stories of restoration, one of the greatest stories of sacrificial love, you can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 9, go read it sometime this week. It's the story of David and uh, Mephibosheth. You need a baby name? There you go, Mephibosheth. And watch this. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, who was actually crippled because he had been dropped. Wasn't even his fault. He'd been crippled because he had been dropped. And, and he, he oftentimes was just begging for crumbs. He was a beggar. 
And King David gets word of it. He's like, uh-uh, not in my house. And he restores Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son, who is a rightful heir of the kingdom, a rightful heir to sit in the king's seat. He says, he's not going to sit and beg. Bring him to the king's table. And Mephibosheth comes up to the king's table and he begins to eat like the king. Oh, what sacrificial love. He wasn't intimidated by him. He wasn't leery of him. And, and, and I wonder in our own life, hear me this morning, I wonder how, how much greater where we work, where we go to school, where we live, if that type of sacrificial love when it came to serving those around us, if we begin to live it out in our everyday life. So sacrificial love, if, if I want to live like a servant. Here's the second thing. I got to learn how to live a life of faithfulness. Oh, this is so hard. Am I, am I willing to be faithful right where he has me? Am I willing to serve him and be faithful? Because this is, what I, this is what I've come to understand. Let me again talk about me. Most of us struggle to be faithful because oftentimes we're already worried and we're always focused on the next thing. I got to get it to the next thing. I got this event done on my calendar. Now what's the next event? I, I, I hit this threshold of financial. Now how do I get to the next threshold? I got this kind of house. How do we get enough money to get the next kind of house? I got this kind of car. How do I make it to where I can get this kind of car? I've got these kind of friends. How do I grow my friend group to where I can get these kind of friends? It's always the next in our life. How do I get to the next thing? How do I, how do I serve God? Uh, or how do I get to the next season of life? How, how do I get to the, next, to the next phase of whatever I may be in? And oftentimes, we're, all we do is focus on the next. When God says in his word, watch, God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing in you. Not the next thing. I'm doing a new thing. And oftentimes where we serve, we don't realize that God is doing a new work in us during that season. That God is preparing us for something that he's going to do eventually in our, in our life. God is preparing us for an assignment. That he's cultivating skills and abilities and character traits that are going to be needed for the assignment that he has for us. And oftentimes we get so busy. Oh, I'm faithful, but God, just get me to the next thing. God, get me to that place in life where I'm secure financially. God, get me to that place in life where my kids are grown and I don't have to worry about diapers and changing and, and, and bedtimes. God, get me to that next. God, get me to that next phase of my life with, with my spouse where, where, where we're getting along better. God, get me to the next promotion in my company. God, get me to this next place that I work. God, get me to that next neighborhood. And we find ourselves and we don't understand that God is trying to do something and he's trying to work inside of us something new for our assignment. Oftentimes we get younger guys, we got a couple of them right now that say, I feel like God's called me to ministry and I love it. I love when young people, and I believe God is calling young people. Some people think God's not calling young people anymore. No, I think the older generation, this is a whole nother message, I ain't got time to preach this. I think number one, we're missing it because we're not calling it out in young people like we used to. And I think we're not fanning the flame like we used to, right? Um, and I think that's one reason we don't see as many young people. So oftentimes, PJ and I, we're, we're around these teenagers and these college men and these college women, and, and I'll say to them, like, you ever thought about ministry? Like, you ever thought about what that looks like? Maybe it's not full-time, it's bivocational. And we got some right now. We got several people, like, on, in, in our teams, and they're volunteering. And sometimes I'll just tell them, I, I, I'll never say, thus saith the Lord, you're a minister, but I'll tell them, I'll say, listen, why don't you just go pray about it and see what God says? And they'll come back. Sometimes they come back and they say, hey, ministry's not for me. Like, for example, my oldest son, Mason. I ain't gonna, I'm going to tell on you, Mason. I asked him the other day, who was having a conversation. I said, Mason, you ever thought about ministry? He's like, no, nah, Dad, uh -uh. I ain't never thought about ministry. 
I said, but what about if God wants to do ministry? Nope, God don't want me to do ministry. I said, but what if? He said, nah. He goes, Dad, he goes, you see this? This is my radar right here. He goes, ministry's way over here. It ain't even on my radar, Dad. I was like, okay, cool. And then, then I ain't going to lie. I started talking to him. Listen, y'all think I'm, I don't have people's skills sometimes? My son, he would be a terrible pastor. He has zero sympathy for anyone at all times. It doesn't matter. You can be crying like, like your life is falling apart. Uh, listen, I'm sorry. Suck it up. Get over it. Let's move on. And so he probably should not do ministry. And then my, my, my middle son, oh, Jeremiah, my wife was just telling me he was at the doctor. The other day, my middle son, Jeremiah, hates school. And, uh, and school's a challenge for him, not because he's not smart, but just because everything to him is a social game. He's all about friends, about loving on people, hanging out. And, and, so, and, so, and, uh, and so the doctor was talking to him and said, you know, are you going to go to college? And he's already told me at sixth grade, he's like, college is not for me, Dad. He knew it. And he told the lady, he goes, no, I'm not going to school. I'm not going to do it. Well, she goes, well, what do you want to do? He goes, that's oh, simple. I'm going to work in ministry with my dad at his church. She goes, well, you probably might need some schooling for that. He's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go to school. I'm just going to be in ministry. And I told him later on after Leslie was telling I go, Jeremiah, like, education is good. And like, I was like, Dad, like, matter of fact, I'm, I'm getting my master's degree right now. I went back to school getting my master's degree. I was like, for a reason. He's like, no, nah, Dad, you do you. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do ministry, okay? I'm like, all right, cool. And uh, so these young guys will come to me. I say, hey, I feel, all right, I can pray. I feel. And this is, ask Colin. Ask Isaiah. Isaiah's right over there. This is, what, this is my first response to him. Ask PJ. Oh, you feel called to ministry? Cool. Meet me at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon to set up chairs for the youth ministry. What? Yeah, meet me 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon to set up chairs. Oh, you feel called to ministry? Okay, that's cool. Meet me at 7.30 on a Sunday morning. Start carrying around some coffee pots around the place, doing some sweep, making sure everything's good for service. What? I just, what about the microphone? No, just meet me 7 o'clock, 7.30. Colin, I walked in this morning at 6.30. Colin, Stevenson, who's our facilities manager now here, and he's with Pastor Phil. And I kid you not, I almost took a photo so I could show it to y'all. Pastor Phil was standing here, and he's like, Colin, to the left, to the right. And they're straightening chairs, right? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Pastor Matt, that's so mean. Like, why do y'all make them show up? Listen, I'm not worried about if they can get a microphone in their hand. I'm worried about can they serve a church when they're on staff somewhere. Because I'll tell you right now, guess what? This right here, easiest part of my job. A lot of times people look at us, and they say, how do you? Is it, is it hard to preach? I mean, this takes time, right? You study. But this right here, easiest part of my job, simplest part of my job. I got to get up and just tell you what God told me. That's an easy part to do. Like, hey, this is what God told me. I'm going to tell you what he told me. And that's easy. The hardest part of my job takes place on Monday through Saturday when phone calls happen, when serving opportunities are there, right? When, when people need you, when, when you got to show up somewhere that in your calendar, you're like, how am I going to make this happen? And so oftentimes when I when I look, hear me this morning, what am I trying to say is oftentimes when it comes to being faithful, we, we don't understand that in those moments, yeah, we don't like it. Yeah, maybe it's not the stage and the spotlight, but, but God is cultivating something inside of us. I look at all of our campus, Pastor John, who's now been here 17 years. He's in college. I feel called to ministry. We're like, that's amazing. He goes, and I feel called to be here. I know God has me here at Heartland for a reason. We're like, that's great. We ain't hiring nobody. He goes, well, you just tell me what I want to do. I can be around. I'll be here. Anything. You tell me what I can do. We said we got $50 on a Sunday to run sound. You know anything about sound? He goes, I know jack squat about sound. He said, but give me a manual and about a week, and I can learn something about sound. Uh, 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 Pastor James, who's celebrating 10 years down in North Judson. I told the first service, right, and Pastor James heard me. He texted me. He says, I didn't appreciate that. Like, you made fun of me. I told the first service, he, he lived in sin for a while and moved to North Judson. All right, he moved to Georgia, and he tried to do ministry in Georgia, and then he finally realized Heartland was a place to be, and he came back home, right, and 
I'm joking. He did an amazing job at Georgia. And he came back. He goes, hey, guys, I'm here. I'm in, I'm in the city, and I hear what's going on. I, I want to be a part. I know God's called me, and, and I feel like God's calling me back to Heartland. What can I do? So we ain't hiring, but we got this thing in North Judson taking off, and maybe you want to help out there. And, and I tell you what we do can hire or what we can hire. We, got, we need some help around our property, and you're pretty handy. He's like, I could push a broom. I could push a mop. And his first staff position was, was taking care of the facility. I look at uh, Pastor, our campus leader, uh, Levi, who's at Full Throttle today. He shows back up to Heartland, and, and he's coming to Heartland, and he's not just waiting for a title and a position, but he's like, man, I can be on the prison team. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to go into prison on Wednesday nights. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to help Pastor Phil on some bike events. I'm just going to be around. I know what God's doing in my heart. I know what he's stirred inside of me, and I'm just going to be, and now he's leading the campus this morning. Pastor Matthew, I swear, he legit, I think he legit just showed up one Sunday. I still don't know really where he came. He came from Elkhart. I know where he came from. But, but he, heard, he heard what was going on at Heartland. He goes, man, I've heard stories, and I heard what y'all are doing with campuses, and I just want to be a part, and I want to be here. And he shows up, and he's just around. He's driving back and forth from Elkhart. He ain't even getting gas money, y'all, but he's just serving, and he's showing up. And now he's been now on staff with us for three years serving at a campus. I forgot this morning, and I know you would have yelled at me tomorrow if it did not mention Pastor Lindsay, who is our worship pastor. Pastor texted me after the first service, said, great shout out on all the pastors, but you forgot one, and she'll let you know about it because that's your sister. My, my own sister-in-law, I remember her growing up in youth group playing the piano. As a sixth grader, seventh grader, I'm like, you play piano? She's like, yeah, I want to be a worship pastor. All right, get on the stage, you're playing piano. She's like, but I'm not that good. I'm like, that's all right, we'll keep your volume down until you get good. Get on the stage. And so, so she, she's singing, right, and she's playing piano, and she's playing keys, and she's serving. She, for the longest time, she would go to school. She was our youth worship leader, and she didn't get paid. She didn't get gas money. She got nothing. She got a... Good job. You did great. A, bat, a pat on the back. And then we would get worship pastors, and she would serve them faithfully, and she would learn more and learn more. And then eventually to the point where, like, we got to hire this girl because she knows everything. Well, what am I trying to say to you this morning is I wonder how often in our own life we find ourselves getting so discouraged, but we miss out on the moments that, listen, God has us there for a reason, and he's putting something inside of us to use for the assignment that he's called us to. And because we rush through it, or because we only do it when it's easy, oh, it's easy to remain faithful when there's no adversity. It's easy to remain faithful when everything's good. It's easy to remain faithful when everybody sees it. But what about when adversity comes? Oh, David knew about that. He served King Saul the whole time, and towards the later end of his life, guess what King Saul was trying to do the whole time to David? He was trying to kill him. Threw a spear at him one day. David like, uh-uh, not today, bro. And like, dodge it. Boom. Spirit went by his face. And David didn't leave. He was like, nah, uh I'm done. I'm done serving. This dude trying to kill me. He done lost his mind. I ain't serving this dude anymore. He continually to serve Saul. He had to do it from a distance. But, but what happens? I, I, I met a business. I was talking to a businessman. I, I got to share this story. I'm almost done. I want to encourage you this morning. I was talking to a businessman a couple weeks ago. I, I know this man very well. And, and they even support financially to Heartland and some things that happened, and, and this dude is very successful. I won't say his name because I haven't asked his, his permission to share this story, but I was talking to him, and he had been going through a lot of things in his life for several months. Things was going on, and, and really, he knows now God was working on him and preparing him for, some, for things that are happening now, but he works at this large company, and this man is very, this man is very successful financially at a very large company. His company started going through layoffs and was laying people off. And remember, he called me one day. He said, there's another big layoff coming. Monday, this is on a Thursday. 
said, there's another big layoff coming Monday. I said, what you think? He goes, I think I'm next. He goes, I don't even know why I haven't been asked yet, but I think I'm next. And as we're talking, he goes, I got to go. It's my boss. Hangs up, right? And uh, a few minutes later, I don't know, 10 minutes later, my phone rings back, and it's him again. Pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's silent. Now, this, this, this man that I know, he's not an emotional person at all. And I can tell he's crying on the phone. And I said, hey, I was like, did they, did they lay you off? He goes, yeah, I don't have a job anymore. I go, man, what you going to do? He's like, that's not why I'm crying. And I'm like, well, I don't know why you're crying then, because laying off is a pretty big deal. And uh, he goes, you know, Matt, Matt, he was telling me, he said, you know, when I was talking to you, he goes, we've been praying, you know, through this. And uh, he says, I, I was praying for God to just, you know, bless me with a severance package and give me some time to get on my feet. And so him and his wife went on a three-day fast and a three-day prayer. And they said, we're going to pray and fast, see what God tells And during the three-day prayer and fast, they both know separately, and they came together that God told them, start giving more financially. And he's like, uh, this ain't the time to be giving more financially, God. I'm about to lose my job, possibly. They, they've just invested in some other things. He goes, there's not a lot of cash flow. I'm about to lose my job. And they said, no, invest. See, it's easy to do it when it's easy. But what about when adversity is right around the corner? So, so they start giving more financially. He tells me that Thursday as he talks, I said, well, man, I was like, if I your mom asking, why are you upset? He goes, Matt, they did something I had no idea they were going to do. He said, my, my boss called me and said, listen, I love you. You're like a brother. You've been good to this company. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay your salary and your benefits, not for the next month, not for the next three months, not for the next six months, for the next year. I don't want you to worry about anything. I'm going to pay your salary and your benefits. Everything's going to be taken care of. You do what you got. If you get another job, great. But for the next year, you're taken care of. And this is not like a $40,000 salary, y'all. This is a very significant amount of salary. What, what am I trying to say to you? I, I, I begin to understand in my life, listen, that faithfulness to God, faithfulness when it's easy, when it's not easy, when I'm willing to serve, not just people. Because ultimately, watch, this is what David understood, that he's really serving God. This is what David understood, that even though he was serving Saul, even though he was serving his dad, even though he was serving in all of these components, that, that ultimately his, his steadfastness and his devotion was able to stay steady because he knew ultimately he had someone greater that he was serving. So it didn't matter when it was easy. It didn't matter when it was difficult. It didn't matter when people liked him or people didn't like him or when people saw it or didn't saw it. David teaches us and his life showed us that real servanthood involves remaining faithful to God and to the call that he has upon us. That's what faithfulness is. So not only should I be faithful, I got to quit. I got to quit. Come on, Lindsay. If I want to live out this servant life, I got to learn to live a life of patience. Oh, this is so hard. Live a life of patience. I don't like this one. I can be faithful. I, I can even have sacrificial love. But maybe it's just me in this place this morning. Oh, I struggle with patience. I struggle with waiting. Anybody else struggle with waiting? I'm the person that like taps their foot, angry at the microwave that it's not fast enough while it pops my pop. Like, that's me. I hurry up, pop this thing. That's me. I hate waiting. And this is what ultimately, watch, this is what real servanthood is all about. Is that we must come to a place to understand in our life to be patient. That just because I'm anointed doesn't mean I'm appointed yet. That God's hand can be on me and his purpose can be inside of me. Now watch, this is what David's going to teach. 
But that doesn't mean it's my time. Because in first, come here, Trey. Come here, Trey, I'm going to use you. Trey fell asleep last week in my message because he said it was too boring. So I'm going to use you so you have to be awake. <laughs> Sent my own son, y'all. Pray for me. This is what I live with. My kids. wasn't because it was boring because he's partied all night too. Come here. In 1 Samuel, now go to your Bibles. You can follow along so you know that, that, that Trey's not cheating. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, right? So Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, right? 1 Samuel chapter 16, 13. We read it earlier. David gets anointed. Do we all agree? Come on, agree with me. Do we all agree? So David's anointed as king in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But I want you to start to flip, Trey, and tell me when you see David as king in the Bible. Just start to flip. Don't flip too fast, but you're going to go page by page and look. See how it says David at Gath? David saves Kalah. Like, start looking and see when David is king. So in 1 Samuel, watch this, chapter 16, we read David, Samuel shows up, boom, the anointing oil. Anoints him with oil. You're the next king of Israel. God's hand is on that day. The Bible says on that day, God was with David, right? Did you find it? Where? Why you look sleepy right now? Service is almost over. Where you at? Right there. Okay, you found it. Good job. So in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he's anointed. Trey, when does he become the king of Israel? Tell him. Sec. 2 Samuel 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. Go sit down. Good job. Wake up. 2 Samuel chapter 5. You pardon too hard on the weekends. 2 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel 16. Some people say that he was as young as 10 years old. Many people would agree that he's 15. 15 years old, David gets anointed as king. 15 years old, Samuel, the prophet, anoints him in front of everyone. The Bible says from that day on, God was with them. He doesn't become king until 2 Samuel chapter 5, 30 years old, 15 years later. What are you trying to say to me, Pastor Matt? Is that oftentimes in our life, if we're not careful, we're not patient with what God is doing in our life. And we think that his hand has left us because we haven't arrived yet. We think his hand has gone because, man, I haven't got what you said I could get yet. God, I've been praying for weeks. God, I've been praying for months. God, I've been praying for years. God, I know you anointed me. God, I know you called me. God, I know what you spoke. And God, but all I feel like and all I see like I'm doing is I'm just walking around aimlessly doing tasks. When you ever felt that way? Doing stuff. And we don't realize that we don't understand. Again, David leaves the field. What does he do? Again, I showed you earlier, he starts playing the harp for the king. He goes, Goliath. Now he's the armor bearer for the king for 15 years. He was anointed at 15. He didn't become king till he's 30. And what I love is we look and we say, man, what 15 years, what a waste. No, no, it was not a waste. No, you read it wrong if you think it was a waste. He was 15 years old, and then he was 30 when he became a king. Man, 15 years that he, he could have led. 15 years he could have accomplished so much more. 15 years, what a waste. No, it was not a waste at all. Look at what God did. God placed David right by the king to see and learn what he needed to see and learn in order when he could become king. I mean, think about it. David probably saw all the mistakes Saul made. He probably saw the decisions like, that's a good decision. He probably saw the things like, oh, I probably would have done that different. No. 
note to self, leave differently next time. He saw all of this stuff, and while he was sitting there just patiently, listen, what if he would have complained at that time? So you know what, God, I'm done serving. God, you know what, I'm done waiting. You anointed me when I'm 15. I'm 27 years old now. I'm not waiting on you anymore. I'm done. I'm out. What if he would have left? What if you would have complained? What if you would have rushed through during that time? What am I trying to say to you this morning? Church, hear me. Am I willing to walk in serving? This is what servanthood is. This is what satisfaction, a new satisfaction in my life will bring. Am I willing to walk in serving while I wait for God, while I wait for what God has for me? Am I willing to serve him in those areas that I don't see it? I don't see the benefit. Am I willing to serve those people that I don't see the benefit of the conversation I'm having? Am I willing to serve in those areas of my life that I don't see the benefit that God has, but yet I've come to understand that serving has a lot to do with waiting. Serving has a lot to do with being patient. The Bible says those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint, not by doing, but by what? By waiting. If I'm just patient, no matter where God has me, no matter what the serving looks like, no matter what job I'm in right now, no matter what city I'm in right now, no matter what neighborhood I'm around, no matter what my family looks like, Paul says, I know what it's like to be content because I've been there and in every situation, God shows up and I wonder for you and I in our life this morning. Am I willing to walk? Am I, am I willing to walk in serving while I wait for what God has for me? Because this is what I know. God will always prepare me before he ever promotes me. And we want to rush through the preparation. And we want to know why we're not getting the promotion. God says, I, I can imagine David in the field playing the harp. David's like, I'm just playing the harp. God's in heaven like, no, nah, no, nah, you're getting good at that harp because you're about to go play for a king. I can imagine David watching the sheep and the bear and the lion shows up. I don't know why my dad's got me out in this field. I ain't even got no weapons. I just got a slingshot, and, and, and he takes down this bear and this lion. God's like, oh, you good with that sling. Wait till you see what I got for you next. As he's, as he's serving Saul as an armor bearer, as a right-hand man, Oh, all of those things as he's faithful in those moments. What is it in your life that you've been waiting for God to promote you in, but God says, I'm still preparing you. You got to trust me. You got to be patient. And as you look at David's life, you can see God's blessings. You can see his hand upon him. God makes a promise with David because of his faithfulness. Was he, was he perfect? No. Did he get it wrong? Absolutely. Did he miss the mark? 1,000%. But, but, but God makes a promise to David, and he makes this promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. He says, David, your descendants are going to reign over Israel forever. David's like, I'm not even royalty. You know my story. You know where I came from. My descendants are going to reign forever. God, how can that be? And when you go and you read Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and you begin to look at the lineage of Jesus, ultimately it's David's lineage that leads to the birth of Christ who is the real king, who reigns over all of us forever. You see the blessings of God over his life. And listen, think of the legacy that he has. And I wonder for you and I this place, as, as followers of Christ, as Christians this morning, maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower, but today's that day that God wants you to surrender. You're looking for that life of significance. You're looking for that life of satisfaction. He says, you got to first learn how to serve me with your life. I wonder for us this morning, what would it look like if we embrace humility? Where is it in your life you haven't been available? 
God says, I've been tugging at your heart to be available. Where is it in your life you need more sacrificial love? Where is it, where is it in your life you need more faithfulness? Where is it in your life you need more patience? Because you're here this morning and you're just waiting. God, I don't know what's next. I don't know where you're taking me next, but God's like, I'm doing something in you. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.